If you'll remain standing and open your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, so we continue in our series through this excellent book, Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are our text this morning. I told you once we got past uh, the introductory phase of this book, we'd move a little faster. Now, for those of you who think this might be a little too fast, uh, don't fret yourselves. We are going to go back and look at each uh, passage in chapters 2 and 3, but we're going to look, you know, in summary fashion at the messages to the seven churches all in one sermon this morning. Now, though we're reading chapters 2 and 3, and actually uh, added to that, I'm going to back us up to chapter 1, verse 12, um, but if, if you can't stand or remain standing for the whole portion, that's understandable. Uh, Stand for as long as you're able, and then if you need to be seated, that's perfectly acceptable. So I'm going to begin reading in Revelation, beginning in chapter 1, verse 12. Hear, O people of God, the word of truth. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning us all seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false." I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. 
Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And to the angel in the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works." But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces." even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel in the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not defiled my name or denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me, the one who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. Beloved, Christ is serving in the heavenly tabernacle as our great high priest, and he is perpetually tending and caring for his lampstand churches. Just as the high priest in the Old Testament would tend to the lampstand in the tabernacle every evening and morning to keep its flames burning, so Christ is in heaven tending to his lampstand churches so that their light might continually stay lit. What we have here in chapters 2 and 3 are specific messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor, which gives us the manner in which Christ tends to his churches. This is particularly important in the present age because the church will undergo tribulation until Christ returns. 
Remember that the letter of Revelation addresses the persecution, deception, and seduction that the church is to endure throughout this age. That is the tribulation. And so in short, this letter, the letter of Revelation, is concerned with the church in its state of tribulation. Now, the church should not ultimately fret over this time of tribulation because her risen and sovereign Lord is tending to his church as he intercedes for her from heaven. Now, his presence in heaven does not mean that he is absent from her now. He is not absent from his church, his bride. He is always present with her to the end of this age because he has poured out his own spirit upon her. And this is something that is not specifically spelled out in chapter 1, in that first vision of Christ that we had. But it is definitely an aspect to it. The flames, you see, that come forth from the lampstand churches are the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the resurrected and exalted Christ. And we see this more clearly in chapter 4, verse 5, which says... And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now this is not, of course, suggesting that there are seven different spirits of God, or that the the Holy Spirit is sevenfold, uh, that there are seven Holy Spirits, in other words, but rather the, the number seven being symbolic of completeness or fullness, is suggesting to us that the fullness of the Spirit of God burns forth from these lampstands. You see, beloved, God is light, and His church reflects His light through the activity of the Holy Spirit among and within her. Now, the light coming forth from the church through the activity of the Spirit, represents our witness-bearing. It represents our witness-bearing in the darkness of this present age of tribulation. Our light-bearing is our witness-bearing. We are to shine bright in the midst of this present darkness and endure or persevere to the end. We cannot do this apart from Christ's heavenly and high priestly intercession for us. His Spirit, beloved, is present among us, keeping us burning so that we might reflect the glory of God Almighty. Now, the Spirit always works in conjunction with the Word of God. Christ's ministry toward us is a ministry of word and spirit. So the church must always be in subjection to his word and spirit, to the word and spirit of the risen Christ. And we get a great illustration of this in the messages to the seven churches of Asia Minor. How does Christ tend to his lampstands to keep their light-bearing witness going in this dark world. 
Well, he knows the needs of his church. And he speaks words of encouragement and words of warning to them by his spirit. Take notice of how each of the churches, how each one of them are addressed in chapters 2 and 3. Each time a new church is addressed, the one who is speaking gives a self-identification or a self-description of himself, which all comes from that very first vision of Christ that John sees. And so it is Christ who is speaking to the seven churches. But then notice that at the end of each message to the seven churches, it says, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so it is Christ's word and spirit that ministers to his church to keep them burning and reflecting his glory. This morning we are looking at the first message, which is a, well, we were going to look at the first message when I first started writing this sermon, but decided to look at all of them. And so looking at all of these churches, we find here how Christ tends to his lampstand churches. Now, three things I want to point out here before we start looking at some of the specifics throughout these seven messages. And the first thing is that they should be thought of as messages, not as letters. Sometimes you'll hear that them being referred to as the the letters to the seven churches. There's actually just one letter. The letter is the book of Revelation. It's the whole letter that's sent to all of them. The whole letter would be circulated to the seven churches. And at the end of each message that we see in the next two chapters, as I've already mentioned, it says, hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. Not hear what the Spirit says to this church or to that church, but to the churches, plural. Each church was to hear the message given to all the churches, Christ addresses certain circumstances that each church was facing, but each message is to all the churches. So that's the first. These are messages to the seven churches, not individual letters. But second, we've already noted that the number seven is symbolic for completeness. And so the messages to the seven churches are meant for the complete church. The whole church throughout this age. They are for the church universal. Because Christ knows the needs for his whole church throughout this age. And they all need to hear these messages. They all need to hear what is said in this whole letter, in fact. And that includes even us today. Now these messages all have components that form a general outline. That's why I decided to look at all of them together in one sermon. Different scholars will categorize the different components differently, but there is a definitely a, a general outline to each one of them, which is also going to be the outline for the remainder of our sermon as well. And here is that outline. First, there is an address to the church and its angel. There is an address to each church and its angel. 
Second, a description of the church's situation. Third, there is a call either to repentance or to faithfulness or to both. And finally, the fourth part is the summons to hear what is being said. Now, each of those parts can be further broken down into multiple sections. We'll, we'll see that. There's much more that comes out of them than what was just mentioned. And we will notice that as we move along. Okay, so the first part of the message is an address to each of the churches and to their corresponding angel. Now, this address can be broken down into two further parts, which includes a self-identification of the one who is speaking And secondly, a command to write. And with regard to the self-identification in each message, we discover that it is the resurrected and glorified Christ who is speaking in each message. I hope you noticed that as we went along. That's why I read chapter 1, verses 12 and following, because there's that first vision. And each letter begins with an identification that came out of that first vision. So we know that it is Christ who is the one who is speaking. So, for example, the first message written for Ephesus describes the one speaking as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's taken from that first vision. And the second message written for Smyrna in chapter 2, verse 8, describes the one speaking as the first and the last who died and who came to life. So you see how these identifications come from that first vision and this continues in each of the messages and so clearly by these self-identifications we can see that Christ is the one speaking to his churches now Christ the speaker commands John to write what he is going to say to the churches and in your translations the next words may be something like The words of him who, you know, followed by whatever self-identification there is. And that's an okay translation. But I would prefer to translate it not the words of, but, and this should sound familiar to you, thus saith, or thus says. Now certainly they are the words of Christ. But this is the actual phrase used many times throughout all of the Old Testament. Thus saith, and in the Old Testament, it's always thus saith the Lord. More specifically, thus saith Yahweh. Here in Revelation, it is thus saith who? Thus saith Christ, according to that self-identification. Thus saith Christ, who is the Lord. And so here in Revelation, Christ is identified as Yahweh. The one who commands his servant, the prophet John, to write by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this command to write uh, addresses each of the seven churches in Asia Minor, Minor and their corresponding angel. In that first vision, we are told that the seven lampstands are the seven churches and that the seven stars in Christ's right arm are the seven angels 
that correspond to each of those churches. We discussed a couple of weeks ago that the angel is probably not the minister of each church. Some hold that view. But it's more likely that it is an actual celestial being who ministers or serves at one of those churches. In fact, the author of Hebrews, describing angelic beings, says, Are they not all ministering servants, ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And so these messages are written for each of the churches and for their corresponding heavenly angel. Now there's the address. We move on to the second part of the general outline we see that they contain also a description of the church's situation, which contains either a commendation for the church's good deeds or a rebuke for their sins, and sometimes both. For example, next Lord's Day, the Lord helping us, we will look at Ephesus, which is commended for its doctrinal precision but is accused of being in lack of love. Christ knows of the situation that each church faces. In fact, this part of each message begins with Christ saying, I know. I know your works, Revelation 2.2. I know your tribulation, Revelation 2.9. I know where you dwell, 2.13. Again, I know your works. Revelation 2, 19, 3, 1, 3, 8, and 3, 15. When Christ introduces the situation of each church by saying, I know, it indicates that he is not an absent high priest, but one who is present with his churches. He is a high priest who walks in the midst of his lampstand churches as the one who is in their midst. He knows their needs and he tends to them. And so, as we look at each individual church in the coming weeks, we will see the situation of each church and how the Lord tends to them, how he commends them, how he encourages them, but how he also speaks of their sins. Now, the third part of the outline is the appropriate instruction for whatever their situation happened to be. What I mean is that if Christ commended them for their work, then he would follow that by instructing them to remain faithful or to endure. But if he rebuked them for a certain sin, then he would follow that instruction with the instruction for them to repent. And by warning or threatening them of the consequences if they do not repent. Looking again at Ephesus as an example, we see that he calls them to repent. And then he says, if not, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The Ephesian church was in danger of losing their lampstand. Which means that Christ would withdraw his Holy Spirit from them. He would withdraw the Holy Spirit from that church and so cause it to lose its light-bearing witness in the world. 
Christ would no longer tend to it and care for it. It would no longer, in other words, be a true church. And as you can see, one of the ways that he tends to his church is by disciplining it, by bringing discipline. He rebukes several of these churches and calls them to greater faithfulness. And it's at this point I would like to make one broad comment and one narrow comment about this third part of the outline. And the broad comment first, let me say that there are certain theologians, certain theologies out there that claim that the old covenant was a covenant of works. And with a covenant of works, warnings or threats of covenant curses are appropriate because the community is mixed with believers and unbelievers. But then they will say that the new covenant is not like the old covenant. It's not a covenant of works. It's a covenant of grace in which all the members are believers. And therefore, there's really no place for covenant curses or for threats in the new covenant. Why threaten covenant curses, I might ask, when everyone in the new covenant is a believer and therefore receives grace and blessing? You see, I don't think scripture quite agrees with such a theology. That is not in accordance with the theology that we hold to here. And I don't believe scripture agrees with it. First of all, we find that the covenant of grace runs throughout the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is not a covenant of works, but an administration of the covenant of grace. And secondly, not everyone in the covenant of grace is a true believer. Not everyone in the covenant of grace is elect. And that is why curses can be and are threatened in both the Old Covenant and the New We certainly see that here in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Several several of these churches are threatened with covenant curses. Ephesus is again the best example. They are a true church, a true covenant community. But Christ threatens to take away their status as a true covenant community. That is the threat of a covenant curse in the new covenant. And of course more could be said on this, but the point remains, there are threats, there are warnings in the new covenant. There are those who are not truly elect who can apostatize from the covenant and receive covenant curses. Now, that's the broad comment. The more narrow comment is that this is one of the ways that Christ tends to his churches. He disciplines them. He rebukes his churches. And his rebukes to the churches are a form of discipline. And to the church in Laodicea, he says, To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. And so be zealous and repent. Revelation 3.19 That discipline, beloved, comes from the Lord in many different ways. He he disciplines us very informally and individually in our own lives. In many different ways. He also 
disciplines us as we come in here each Lord's Day to hear the word preached. We're convicted of our sins. How are we convicted? We're told from the word, from God's word, from the preaching of his word. What our sins are, how we've fallen short. And those are rebukes. Sometimes we don't think or believe in all the particulars of Scripture. And the Scripture says, no, that way of believing is wrong. Trust in the Lord in this way. Understand doctrine in this way. And from that we are disciplined. And we must conform to the Word of God. But discipline also can come more formally as well. That discipline sometimes comes formally through the elders in the courts of the church. Beloved, the elders represent Christ in their office. And so, beloved, listen to them if discipline is needed in your case. Be humble and view it as Christ tending to you. It's Christ keeping your light shining. Christ disciplines us for our own good, just as our own earthly fathers discipline us for our own good. And he does this, of course, because he loves you and wishes to help you to persevere so that you might reflect his glory in this dark world. Now, he also encourages you apart from discipline, persuading you to remain faithful and to remember his covenant promises that he has made to you. And so these are are some of the most common ways that Christ tends to his church through encouragement and also discipline. Finally, beloved, in the fourth and final part of the outline for the messages to the seven churches... He summons the church to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Each of the churches are to discern what the Spirit is saying to each in those messages. Each church may be experiencing their own set of circumstances, but the message is for each of the churches. It's for them all. Even more, the seven churches as I've mentioned, represent the universal church. All of these circumstances will be circumstances that Christ's church faces throughout this age of tribulation in some form or fashion. And so this is a call for the whole church to listen with spiritual ears. More specifically, it is a summons for all of Christ's church to hear through the activity of the Holy Spirit as he helps to illumine her mind to Christ's words. Again, Christ's lampstand ministry is a word and spirit ministry. If Christ's lampstand churches are going to endure through this age of tribulation, then they need to be humble and seek the Spirit's help in understanding their master's words. If they will do this, then they will receive an eternal reward. Each message ends with a summons to hear and a promise 
of an eternal reward. Whether it be to eat from the tree of life or not to be hurt by the second death. To eat from the hidden manna. To have authority over the nations. To be clothed in white garments. To be made a pillar in the temple of God. Or to sit with Christ on his throne. We are continually reminded of the promises of God. And of what he will provide for us when our salvation comes in its fullness. These promises are held forth to the whole church. But they are only received by those who conquer or who overcome. It says over and over again, seven times in fact, to the one who conquers or to the one who overcomes. Well, how do we do this? How do we conquer? How do we overcome? I think Christ explains this best in his final message. The message to the church in Laodicea. He says, the one who conquers, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 3.21 Beloved, how did Christ conquer? He conquered by suffering through tribulation. He overcame death by death. And we conquer in the same manner. It's one of the great paradoxes of the book of Revelation. The world thinks of conquering by employing their might. It has no concept of suffering that brings about conquering or a conquered status. We overcome by suffering in tribulation, by remaining faithful and bearing witness even unto death in this age of tribulation. Christ's death, beloved, purchased our redemption. And though our clothes have been stained by sin, they are washed white as snow. If we bathe them in his blood. Simply put, beloved, We can overcome through our faith in Christ. To him be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Our most glorious God, we are thankful for the sufferings of Christ on our behalf and that they did indeed pay for our redemption. That they have bought us, that they have given us the forgiveness of sins and that the righteousness of Christ has been credited to us. Lord, we pray that you might help us to persevere in this age of suffering, in this age of tribulation, in which the dragon and the beast, the false prophet, the harlot Babylon, wants to persecute us, wants to deceive us, and wants to tempt us, O Lord. We pray that Christ's activity amongst His churches would be present, that His 
Holy Spirit poured out upon her would cause us to continually shine bright, bringing you glory in all that we do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.